Okay. Good morning, everyone. Wow, it's really a joy and an honor to be standing here, and it's pretty unbelievable sometimes to think that we are a part of something together as brothers and sisters, children of God, because of who he is, and we just got done singing about that. So thank you, worship team, for leading us. It's a good reminder that even when we don't think that the Lord is at work, he is, and he's making ways that we don't even know about. And because of your prayers and support, I'm standing here. Because God is doing some incredible things to make Jesus famous, or as we like to call it, non-ignorable in the whole country. And you're a part of it. You matter in what he's doing, whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not. And it's incredible to get to stand here. I just can't get over it. And so my goal this morning is to answer the question, why plant churches? I am a church planter. My wife, Kayla, and I are planting a church in Aurora, Colorado, which is East Denver. Uh, We're planting a church called Calvary New City. And so my goal this morning is to answer that question, but before I do that, uh, I just want to explain a little bit about our city and about New City, and also how it came to be that we are partners with Holmes Avenue, with everyone here, as you like to say it, y'all. How we partner with y'all. Calvary New City started because the Lord called us to Denver, and we didn't have much of a plan, but we knew that this little family of churches was sending out church planters in the city to make Jesus non-ignorable, and the Lord called us to come and do that. And so this is actually a view from a motel along Colfax Avenue, and the story of Colfax is that it used to be a very uh, prominent street that cut through the center of the entire city and led people to the Rocky Mountains. And so the economy there was very good. But then I-70 was built, and Colfax Avenue began to descend into poverty in the 70s. The economy left, and soon thereafter, drugs, crime, and prostitution, and of course addiction in a depressed economy quickly moved in. So there's a lot of brokenness there. There's also a lot of people from around the world there. We have the most diverse zip code in all of Colorado, in my neighborhood, where people uh, are refugees from various countries, from Africa, the Middle East, and South Asia, and a large population from Mexico, Latin America, and South America. And because of that, we have so much opportunity to minister and to preach the gospel, and to plant churches. And we have a lot of hope for that. And so the problem is there aren't a lot of churches with people who live in the neighborhood. And so the Lord helped us. We prayed and asked God to bring people to help us plant this church. And so people from our neighborhood, from our immediate neighborhood, began to come. He began to bring them through Uh, our sending church, and just through meeting people in our community at coffee shops and doing ministry on Colfax. 
And these motels are home to very many people. It's kind of a pay-as-you-go, no-strings-attached housing option for people with backgrounds that uh, bar them from getting uh, apartments and other homes. They on, uh, many work day labor or make their money in ways that they don't report to the IRS. And we show up every week and we listen to their stories and we pray for what's going on in their lives. And the Lord is beginning to change people, including us. And from showing up and loving people, at Calvary New City has begun to take root. We also show up amongst a group of refugees at a place known as the Mango House. And that's actually where we worship in the front of a, a restaurant owned by a Syrian refugee. And I'm going to tell you that story in a little bit. Uh, but my family and I, uh, we are from, originally my wife and I are from Casper, Wyoming. And those are our kids, Micah, Julia, Elliot. I'm holding Amelia, and Kayla's holding Scarlett. So we have five kids who are not with us this morning, or else you would definitely know it. Uh, and we started off thinking that we were going to be missionaries in Africa, and that we were. We moved to Uganda when Micah was one. Julia was born there. I was doing construction management for other missionaries. Well, while we were there, we were part of a small church plant, uh, and it was comprised of Ugandans. We were one of two American families who were part of it, and we saw people loving their neighbors, meeting needs, and sharing the gospel. And the Lord was blessing that work. We were seeing Muslims come to Christ, other people from the tribes and the surrounding villages come to Christ, and the church began to grow and grow. And we just met outside under a big tree, and we watched people get saved. And we didn't have a whole lot to do with it. We just got a front row seat. We didn't speak the language like these Ugandans could. And when we had to move for another project... And we found out we were pregnant with Elliot, we began to ask, is this really what God is calling us to? Why can't we do what this church in Mbale, Uganda, is doing in America? Because we don't see the gospel taking root in America in a way that maybe we once thought. And so we moved back to Casper, Wyoming, and I started to go to school at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary online. And in the fall of 2015, Someone commented on a, a little uh, forum post that I had to do for class named Brian Eyre. And I thought, wow, that was really encouraging. And I saw him after taking a red-eye flight to Wake Forest. I saw him introduce himself, and I went and said hi, and we've remained friends ever since. And this is a picture of Brian with my daughter Amelia at a missions trip that we got to do together in Chicago. And then when we... Uh, when we knew we were going to be planting a church, I said, Brian, we really want you guys to partner with us. What a great thing that would be. He said, man, I can't wait, but if we're not quite ready. So I've been praying and praying that Holmes would be at a place to partner with us to plant a church in Denver and make Jesus not ignorable together. And through all of that, here I am with my wife, Kayla, and my brother, Brian, and all my brothers and sisters today, linked arms Slugging away for the kingdom of God. Why? Because we have so much hope 
And our verse for our church is uh, Hebrews 13, 14. And it says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And that's why we plant churches. And we believe that God is doing work to accomplish that in the earth. And he's doing that through local churches like Homes and Calvary New City. So it's an honor and a joy to be here. So thank you for partnering with us. If you would turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. Let's get into the word of God. Now like I said, I want to answer the question, why plant churches? We plant churches because we want to see Jesus worshipped. The glory of God is going to fill the earth, and we want to see Jesus worshipped. Our mission is to make Jesus non-ignorable in Aurora, Colorado, in Denver, in the whole region, in the whole country, in Charleston, and to the ends of the earth. At New City, we hold tightly to the desire to see both our lives and our community transformed for the glory of God. And so, the way that we do this, the way we make Jesus non-ignorable, is we hold very tightly to three values that I think are transferable anywhere. They are gospel plus safety plus time, and we believe that those three things equal transformation. Gospel safety time equals transformation. So read with me in Romans 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for our sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous require, requirement of the law might be be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the great word of the Lord. And that defines who we are in Christ and who we are outside of Christ. Alive or dead, right? Free or enslaved, enslaved to sin and death. And so, the first 
point, the first value that we hold very tightly in planting churches is the gospel, our message, and our only hope. So what is the message? What is the message of the gospel? Someone asks you, what is the gospel? Could you answer them? It is the story of Jesus and the power of God to save sinners and make us who in ourselves have no hope of being righteous before God makes us righteous. Jesus explained that. Uh, it's the story of the whole of God's word and all of his plan from the beginning to the end. In Luke 24, after his resurrection, he is walking with some men on the road to a town called Emmaus, and they didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. And in Luke 24, 26, says, this is Jesus, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The message of the gospel is contained in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus was foretold, right? As soon as sin entered the world, God promised to destroy it. And then at Jesus' birth, his life, death, and resurrection, it was all planned beforehand and revealed before and throughout history. This message also describes the need for all people to be saved from death. I know that y'all have been preaching through Leviticus and seeing the holiness of God and his concern that his people be holy as well, but also that we can't be on our own. That the law holds us, or held them to a standard that required sacrifices in order to be righteous before the Lord again and again. But once and for all, Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross so that all of that, all of the old covenant was finished and now the new covenant has come in the blood of Christ. Jesus offers us righteousness in himself so that we don't have to earn it and that is freedom. The message is our only hope. How is it our only hope? Romans 8.1 No condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that word no is emphatic. That, that means Paul, in writing it, is trying to get across none. Not a little bit of condemnation today, and in the future it will be gone. No, right now. If you are in Christ, you are not condemned for your sin, for your guilt, for your shame, for your self-righteousness, for your addiction. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. That is our only hope before a righteous and holy God, is that we have no guilt and that we are righteous. And every day we can be really sure that God will not punish us for our sin. And we sin every day. We can be really sure that our struggle with sin is powered by his grace and his spirit. And when temptation wins, we are still not condemned. 
Now, what does it mean to be condemned? It means that uh, someone who is condemned is under a penalty because they are guilty. So to not be condemned means there is no penalty for us anymore because Jesus took the penalty. He paid it. And that penalty is, of course, death and a horrific, torturous death at that because it was the suffering, the wrath of God for our sin. It says that in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He condemned sin when he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Wow, that is real hope, people. Now, it's important to also remember that the gospel is not only the front door to our faith. It is. The kingdom of God is so inclusive. Anyone is welcome, but there's one way in, right? And that is through Christ. But it is not only the front door. It is the daily hope and the daily message that empowers us to live inside of this freedom of no condemnation. Having a bright future. We need it every day. I think we fall into the trap of, I have trusted that Jesus has saved me, and now I'm going to come and follow all the rules, or pretend that I can follow all the rules, right? But no, we need to be reminded every day that, no, you are not condemned today, and neither am I, because of what Jesus has done, not because I'm able to keep this righteous law myself. That's how we fight sin, that's how we grow in hope. And that is fuel for getting the gospel out. Uh, Pastor and theologian Ray Ortland says this, and I love this quote. The gospel does not hang in midair as an abstraction. By the power of God, the gospel creates something new in the world today. It creates not just a new community, but a new kind of community. Gospel-centered churches are living proof that the good news is true, that Jesus is not a theory, but is real, as he gives back to us our humanness. In its doctrine and culture, words and deeds, such a church makes visible the restored humanity only Christ can give. So we plant churches to get this incredible message out but we have to believe it ourselves and speak it and encourage one another with it. Confident that God will work in the power of his spirit. So the gospel is our message and our hope. And number two, safety. Gospel-centered churches must be safe places. We must be safe people because standing in a place where we are not ever condemned means God, God's people, us, can be marked by confession of sin in a non-accusing community. Now, the church is not a safe place to sin, or at least it shouldn't be, but a safe place to reveal the struggle and confession that we all need to uh, be making and admit what we would rather keep hidden and encourage one another to change our minds. Also known as repent. From thinking that sinful ideas and actions 
or a better way to experience freedom in this life. Now, in my community and probably in parts of yours, addiction is very real. I pray and hope that New City is a community safe enough for lifelong addicts to come and confess their struggle, find hope in Jesus, and never fear being accused and condemned for that struggle. God's new kind of community filled with the Spirit must be gentle because our hearts are fragile, right? That is how Jesus handles you and me. He is gentle and tender and kind. And everyone who comes to him, shouldn't his people be the same? Verse 6 in Romans 8 says this really well. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It doesn't say life and self-righteousness, right? It doesn't say life and good morality. We need to be serious about living holy lives. But peace with God makes us a non-accusing new kind of community where sinners can come and find refuge and be healed and experience freedom in new life. And we need the gospel. We need to speak that message and embrace our hope. And we need to be a safe community. We need safety with people and with each other to confess sin and renew our minds. And finally, number three, this takes time. It takes time. It takes a commitment to one another and our community. I don't know about you, but it takes me a long time to change certain things about the way that I act. I hold on to certain sin. I hold on to selfishness real tight. And God's always exposing it to me. But to let it go is another story. We need time with one another to encourage each other to change, and to remind each other that we are not condemned, but to live in the Spirit is to live a life of peace with God, not a life running back to the death of the flesh and the world. And there are deep, hard questions to ask about life, about suffering and pain and conflict and confusion and chaos. And it requires time to really ask those questions and get to a deep level and dig deep into our hearts and into our minds. It's like farming or building a house or even better, remodeling an old house. You, you know, you don't just plant your seed and the next day you come out and you've got fruit, right? It takes a whole season and a lot of cultivation to bring a good harvest. If you're remodeling a house, if you've ever done that, you know the second you tear into a wall, you never know what you're going to find, Right? A lot of problems, usually, that you didn't think were going to be there. And that's an awful lot like digging into our hearts, isn't it? We had no idea what we were covering up, what we were faking, right? When we stopped pretending that we're fine, that we're all good, and we allow the Word of God in the, 
in the people around us to see who we truly are, we had no idea what we were covering up. And in a non-accusing community that allows people the time to change, the Spirit comes in and begins to renew us. To see our community change and begin to embrace the gospel, God's people have to be committed to the long haul showing up, praying, building relationship. This takes a long time. It is not easy. It's often a little boring and frustrating. But earning the trust of the people around us where we work, where we play, where we live, letting them see us fail, right? And get back up knowing that we are not condemned, that we can humble ourselves and confess and ask forgiveness. That is not normal in the world. It really isn't. And it will surprise people who've never met Jesus before. And that takes time. And when people see that over time, they start to get real curious. What's going on with you? There's a guy uh, by the name of Jason who I met at a coffee shop. And he's seen Kayla and I with our five kids. And uh, he wonders, how do you do it? How do you remain so patient and calm? And I kind of want to tell him, like, you should see me at home. But uh, I tell him, like, I don't know, man. I mean, we just have a lot of peace. And we know that everything happens for a reason. It's going to be fine. Like, the Lord's in control of our life. And I've shared the gospel with him, and he described it with an expletive that I won't share this morning. But he keeps calling me and wants to hang out. And every time we do, he wants to ask, tell me what Jesus would think about this, Matt. Often making fun of my answer, but he keeps calling. And it's been years, and I can't wait to see how the Lord is going to transform his life over time. So, gospel plus safety plus time equals transformation. Romans 8, verse 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Transformation is going from death to life. You can't do that. Dead people can't do anything, right? But the spirit brings life. It was his power that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in his people today, us, right? Transformation is growth to new life, no longer fearing death or being judged or penalized. And how is this transformative? We're made into new people in a dark and chaotic world. We can shine real light. We can show real love that doesn't have an end in a world that's wasting away and scary and dark. Now, if you look around, in your mind, imagine who you go to work with, 
who you go to school with, who lives next to you, and the people sitting next to you, everybody wants to change something about their lives today. Everybody. The only hope the world has to offer to that desire are a few cheap thrills, maybe a little feel-good, to cover over the daily denial of the end, which without Jesus is inevitable death and separation from him and everything that we enjoy, everything that is good. Everyone wants to change something about themselves. And the world's way of doing it is to enable us to deny the end which is inevitable. But that's not true for God's people. There is no end. We do not fear death any longer. Romans 8:10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, it's so freeing and transformative because we know this isn't all there is here, right? We are not living so that we can just feel it up while we're here. So that we can live a life that, that, that brings us as much comfort as we can possibly find until we die and it's all over. That is not how we live. We know that this is as bad as it gets for a believer. Because we're being transformed to eternal life. And we know that it's not really even in us to change our lives, but it's the Spirit that changes us and gives us power over death, over sin and temptation. And we don't have to avoid the end. We don't have to, like, ignore it or sort of check out when we talk about death and we see it. We don't have to because it's not the end for us and we have a message to tell people that says it doesn't have to be the end for you either, right? Your creator created you for a purpose and it was not to go on sinning and die. It was to glorify him forever and there's a way to do that and it's his son Jesus. In the world, you know, the world has a lot of false gospels and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, uh, false Christs, that's out there, believe me. But their false gospel of transformation goes something like this. Buy this, and you'll feel a little better about yourself and about your life. Eat this or don't eat that, and your life will be finally fulfilled. People might start to like you a little bit more, and you might be able to stand yourself a little bit. Be on this side of politics or that, have this career path to be successful or to be on the winning team. But really, it's all pretty futile. But God's gospel is this. Lay down that burden that you have, those desires that somehow you can't fulfill no matter how hard you try. Lay them down. And I'll give myself to you forever. And I will give you life in my son that you could never possibly find or earn or make on your own. 
and no one else can give it to you either. I'll transform you from death to life, from scared to comforted, from chaos to peace, from broken to whole, and on and on, right? Gospel plus safety plus time brings transformation in the kingdom of God. So what? So what about that? How does that help us plant churches? Well, let me ask you this first. Romans 8, 1 and 2 are such glorious parts of God's word, aren't they? There isn't therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this. Do you believe today that there is no condemnation and freedom for you in Christ? Do you believe that to be true? Or is the accusing sin in your mind, in your life, winning out to say you failed so much, you've got no choice but to hide that struggle that you can't get over? You can't be acceptable if anyone finds out about that thought, about that secret shameful click, that quiet addiction. It's kind of miserable that you haven't been able to kick that. So you should probably hide it. That is the enemy accusing you. And if you are in Christ, there is no accusation, penalty, or condemnation, but freedom, life, and peace. So do you believe that today? Or do you believe you have to hide things in order to be acceptable and not condemned? I think it's so easy to hide today. But let me encourage you Jesus won't condemn you for your worst, most shameful struggle. From pornography to gossip, selfish pride, there is not condemnation for those who are in Christ. So what? I would encourage you to confess those sins. Come up afterwards and let's pray together that you would be able to battle them afresh today. This could be a renewal day for you. If you can confess that sin that you're scared to put out in the open. Next, I would like to encourage you to grow in the gospel. Now, it's hard to grow at anything without practice, right? It's hard to get better at an instrument if you don't practice. And so, I would encourage you to start practicing the gospel with yourself, with other people here in this room and in your church, so that when you are out in the world and people don't understand the gospel, you are ready to share it in multiple different ways because you have a lot of experience sharing it with yourself and with other people already. It is the message of freedom that we need and that we get to share in the world. So I told you at the beginning, I would answer the question, why plant churches? So my answer is pretty simple. We are still on this earth as God's people to get this glorious news out and to make disciples using this message, right? To teach people how to follow Jesus. To teach people, hey, you believe this message? There is no condemnation for you. Let's go tell somebody else. Let's go help somebody else know how to follow Jesus next. Really, I mean, I've asked the question, and maybe you have. 
Why does God keep us here after we get saved? Because it's pretty hard, you know? Uh, for many of us, it's a struggle. Well, he keeps you here on purpose. Your life matters a lot, actually. <laughs> and you might feel inadequate and like a failure, and I got news for you. You are, and so am I. But because of the spirit of life that's in us, and we are not condemned, God is using weak failures like you and me to get this glorious news out to a world that thinks they have to be impressive, right? And we know we can't be, and that's good news to us. And so we lead people to the cross where we found life. And all of a sudden, God's, God begins to recreate humanity and churches grow. And that is why we plant churches. That is the only reason. We don't need bigger denominations. We don't need bigger buildings. We need the gospel to get out. And that is why we plant churches. That is why we partner together to get the gospel out. Because the world is raging against us right now to try to silence us, discourage us, and distract us. So we work together to get this out. And so as I close, please pray for us and know that we're praying for you. It's such an encouragement, and really I am standing here because of a lot of prayer. Encourage one another. Every person in here is struggling, whether you know it or not. So encourage one another. In the gospel, remind each other of the hope that you have, that the struggle is not defining who you are. What defines who you are is that you are a loved, adopted child of God, and nothing in this world will change that. Parents in the room, we get to disciple our kids, and that is such an honor, but let me tell you, sometimes it is such a struggle and we need a break. But as we do it, know that the Spirit is in us. And even on our worst day as parents, the Lord is at work. Our kids get to see Jesus through our brokenness. So be encouraged in that. We need that generation to know who they are in Christ. And we get to teach them. So I told you also that I was going to I was going to tell you the story of how we got to worship at the Mango House. <clears throat> so I'm going to tell you this story uh, because it really is an example of how gospel safety time and transformation have have played out in our church. Um, there, th th there's a place along Colfax called the Mango House. And it's a really big building, and there are six restaurants that are run by refugees. It's a place where that opportunity has been given specifically to them to try and start businesses and, and make a life here in America. And we decided that since we don't really speak any of these languages or anything, the best way that we could meet people from that community would be to just show up and buy food from them and start to be friends. So we started showing up on a Wednesday night and doing just that. And we really got to know people. We got to actually have many of them over for a Super Bowl party at our house. And then right after that, COVID hit. And we were like, how are we going to stay in touch with these guys? And so we started ordering food from them to take around town to, you know, the police department and the hospital and that. 
And the summer came, and we started worshiping outside after we got uh, back from being online for some months. And, but in Denver, you know, the snow comes in the winter. You can't be outside. <laughs> it's pretty cold. And I was praying, like, Lord, I don't know where we're going to worship in, in the fall. This has just been such a hard season. I don't know what to do. You need to provide. Well, a prayer team came to our neighborhood wanting to specifically pray for our refugee community. Uh, and I said, you know, please pray for a place for us to meet. And also know, like, when you pray, this is ministry. This is like a primary tool that God has given us to push the darkness out of here. And so I'm sitting at the Mango House, and this guy who owns a restaurant, uh, and I won't name him, but he's a refugee from a Middle Eastern country, had to flee ISIS, uh, and he's currently not a believer. Uh, he came up to me, and he didn't know any of this. And he goes, you know, brother, calls me brother. You know, brother, uh, we really love you guys, and your church has blessed us so much that we want to open the restaurant for you on Sunday so you can worship here. And we'll, we'll cater you food, and you can just do what you do here. And I looked at him, I said, that's impossible, you know that. <laughs> The owner is, is sort of known for not letting Americans do much in there. And he said, oh, don't worry about him. I'll take care of him. So I was like, well, I'm going to pray, and we'll see what God does. So I prayed with him. And right now, Calvary New City is worshiping in that space. And we've been there all fall and up to now. And so we have shared the gospel with him and his family again and again. We've created trust so he knows that we're safe. And he said things to me that he doesn't say to very many people in America. He's asked about Jesus and God and all of this. And we've sure given a lot of time. And we're starting to see that God is transforming him as he wonders, what's with these people who aren't forcing me to be like them, but they're telling me that they love me and they're telling me about Jesus and I can't wait to see him get saved. You're going to get an email about that when it happens. Gospel plus safety plus time equals transformation for the glory of God, making Jesus non-ignorable. And you're a part of it, and so am I. Is Jesus going to transform you? Has he transformed you? Can you talk about that? Because I believe that when we hold fast to the gospel and to the hope that we have in Jesus, the gospel begins to spill out of the doors into the community around us who are currently condemned, right? And I pray that it does here at Holmes, just like I do at New City. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the joy that we can have because of what you have done, not because of anything that any of us can do. And we thank you that we are righteous and free and not condemned. We have no fear of death, no penalty from you because of what Jesus has done. But Lord, we do carry burdens through this life, and you said we can lay them down, and that you're gentle and lowly, and that your burden is easy, your yoke is light, uh, 
And so I pray, God, that you would help us to do that this morning. That we would not be afraid to confess the struggles that we have, the insecurities, the things that we can't quite get over. Pray, God, that we would all be a good encouragement and help to one another in doing that. And I pray, God, that through following you day in and day out, as we go to work, as we live in our communities, as we worship you here, you would begin to transform our hearts and in turn, Lord, transform our communities. We know that we, we know, Lord, that you can do it. And we look forward to when you come back and all things will be made new forever. In Jesus' name, amen.